Rachel Heiser. In the day we live, I think these kinds of things are important. But we'll get started this morning. We got a lot of things to cover. I've been gone for two weeks. You know how much I've got to say? <sighs> but I think this will, to answer your question, Tim, this will give some kind of clarity. Clarity, I will say, the underpinning of what might be light, airy, and fanciful in Jonathan Kahn's book. His book is written for the commercial sellability factor. This is written for the serious student. Hermon. Hermon. It's a mountain, the tallest peak in Jerusalem. Hermon. H-E-R. Michael Heiser. And, and he is a, I mean, he's a renowned theologian. And, and the, whole, the whole premise of this and even Jonathan Kahn's work is Genesis 6. Genesis 6 where it says, And the, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and he, they took who they would, their wives. And then that formed the race of people called the Nephilim, which were the giants. Which according to the biblical narrative, if you, now there are two different views. You either take a, you either take a, an angel perspective that the sons of God are angels or you take a the sons of God are the line of Seth there are too many problems with the line of Seth to even make it believable once you get in the study of it in my opinion you can have your own opinion um, but I will tell you like this is not fringe belief I mean how many of you ever heard of John MacArthur okay he is the most anti like anything Pentecostal or anything spiritual. He's a cessationist. In other words, he didn't believe miracles are for today. He, I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he's like so conservative. I mean, I, I think that he probably sheds dead skin when he walks. You know I mean? He's just so dry. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, that's his concern. But I listen to him on it because I, when I study this stuff, I want to get the nut job version, and I also want to get the, the most, what I would find to be the most, you know, well, not even accurate, the one who would be the most hostile against it. And I want to hear both sides of the, of the argument, and I want to hear everything in between. Honestly, that's how I go about it. And so, um, John MacArthur believes in an angel view, that the sons of God were divine beings. So, I mean, if you want to take the most crusty, dusty kind of mainline theology, you know, Baptist dude, but this, guy, uh, this guy's Baptist too. So this is not like, for some reason we think Baptists are more believable. I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know. But, but anyway, that's just, that's just there. I was a Baptist, so maybe that helps. I don't know. I know. All of us were, weren't we? Everybody's a Baptist. Go knock doors. You'll find out. Okay. <laughs> Except one time we went knock doors, and we, were, we knocked on a door of this woman, and she's like, oh, I'm a member of First Assembly of God. Been a member there for years. Yeah. And he, she's like, yeah, I love the church. Yeah, I've been there for all my life. been a member of that church. And Mike reached out his hand and shook her. He said, Can, he said nice to meet you. I'm your pastor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen. Listening is the keys to perfect lying. Listen, I'm the pastor of First Assembly of God. She didn't hear that part. Anyway. So this morning, as we get started, we'll start in prayer, and we're going to continue talking about faith this morning, because we'll turn to Hebrews 11. I'm going to read it in a couple of different translations, and we're just going to jump right in this morning. I'm glad everybody's here. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. I ask, Lord God, that you would give us the ears of hearers, Lord God. God, for we all have ears, but God, make our ears the ears of hearing, for we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the revelation of Christ. I ask, Lord God, that you would give us, Lord, the ears to hear today what the Spirit is saying in this hour of the church. God, help us, God. Be with us. Be with our families, God. Give those who need traveling mercies, traveling mercies. Those who are dealing with sickness, God, I pray your healing upon them. I ask, Lord God, that you would visit us, Lord God, with the divine outpouring of your Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so faith, faith. I mean, let's go to Hebrews. Let's not, I just want to, I'll let the word speak for itself. Faith. 
how many of you remember the story of the dad in the Bible who brought his son to Jesus, who was possessed by a devil? Mark 9 is where you'll find it if you want to read it sometime. And he brought him to Jesus and, well, he was bringing him to Jesus, but he didn't find Jesus because Jesus was hanging out somewhere else. He was, Jesus was actually on what most theologians believe was the Mount of Hermon at the time, the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Jesus came down from the mountain, the, the crowd was there and the disciples had had a dry run at devil casting out. How many of you have ever had a dry run at casting out a devil or at seeing someone healed? Dry, I mean, I think maybe casting out a devil may be a little more remote for some people. But when I say, how many of you have ever prayed for someone to be healed and you've had a dry run? So, I mean, I think we can all relate to the disciples there, can't we? Our relation there is more to the disciples than it is to Jesus, if we're honest. He's no, no dry run, right? And then he says stuff like, I mean, he comes down glowing. I don't know, he's probably, he may not still be glowing, but, I mean, all indications are that maybe he's not glowing with light because it does, you know, radiating light. But there's, some, how many of you ever, you know, an anointing produces a presence about a person that you're like, there's like some sort of a, I mean, I, there's a glow, you know what I mean? There's something there that's an attraction. And so I think when Jesus, I, it would be hard for me to believe that he transformed in front of them with a visible glow. And then when he came down from the mountain with Peter and James and John, you know, kind of trickling along behind him. I mean, wouldn't you be trickling along? He'd turn around, I'd be like, that's how, you know, I, <laughs> yes. You're, yeah, of course. You're supposed to, you're supposed to, as a biblical student, notice that. You know what I mean? You're supposed to be like, oh, wow, this seems really familiar to me. But whenever Moses came down glowing from the mountain, what did he find? He found them hanging out, dancing around a golden calf, part in, and having a having a orgy. That's what they did in those work. That's that's what it was. There's a reason he got mad. You know, they weren't just two-stepping. You know, it was, a, it was a problem. I'm going to ignore that. There was a problem going on. It made Moses mad. And so Jesus now comes down from the mountain. See the parallel? There's a parallel there. And Jesus comes down from the mountain, and he is addressing a tr crowd, and he addresses the crowd in a way that has a parallel also to the golden calf incident. He said, you wicked and perverse generation, how long will I suffer you? And how many of you at that point are like, uh... You're like, uh... You having a bad day, Jesus? Because that's kind of like, I think you're just kind of blowing up on me. Don't, you know what I mean? How many of you are looking at that scenario and you're, th come on. You know you shouldn't, but you do because if someone, I mean, you're trying your best to do something and you're getting, you know what I mean? So the whole point of the matter is, is that Jesus is living from another realm. And they are living from a realm. And as we've talked about, faith is a present future lifestyle, or a, I should say it this way, a future present lifestyle. Faith looks into the unseen. How many of your futures are unseen? Could I write, get a show of hands? Oh, it should be 100%. So faith, that's your future. It's an unseen place. Now, that is an unseen place in the dimension of time. But with regard to faith, how many of you know there are four dimensions? Time is the fourth dimension. We can thank Einstein and a couple of guys after him for coming up with that and the theory of relativity. And so we have four dimensions. And, but 
with regard, those are all dimensions that we can operate in. You can. You can operate in four dimensions. But how many of you know there's not only four dimensions? Now, a guy in the 1200s, a Greek, not a Greek, a, a Hebrew his, uh, philosopher and theologian came up with the fact he's published that there are ten dimensions. And he got that all from Genesis 1 through 3. Today, if you study the science on it, you will find that scientists say there are at least ten dimensions. Now, that's weird to me. Do I understand it? No, I've just, I've just told you more than I know already. I've stepped beyond my realm of knowledge already, way beyond. Like, I'm swimming. i got to get back offshore because I'll drown there. So here we are. But faith, I just, what I want you to hear from that is faith is not a part of your can do, can see, can feel, can taste, can touch, can determine it within the bounds of everything you know according to the natural realm. Hebrews says that, doesn't it? Faith. Let's, let's read that. I can't even find Hebrews when I talk. I can't do two things at once. You've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it here. 11. We're going to go chapter 11. When you're talking about faith, you're probably going to go to chapter 11 of Hebrews. Hebrews, Jane. Okay. Okay. Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of realities not seen. So, okay. So faith is dealing with the not seen or the unseen. For by it the elders receive commendation. So by this vehicle of faith, they receive commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen, so your seen realm, did not come from anything visible. Where did it come from? The, un, the unseen realm. Everything that is seen came from the unseen realm. Where is God at? In the seen realm or the unseen realm? Yeah. So this is what this is saying. By faith, now we start to talk about people who've done things by this amazing thing, faith, that connects to the unseen realm but brings the evidence to the seen realm. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. Where was the better sacrifice offered, in the seen realm or the unseen realm? The seen realm, right? He offered, so, but by faith, so he produced an action by faith that he had in somewhere that he couldn't see. This is how the gospel works, y'all. By faith, um, let's keep going. Yeah, that's, some, that's right. And so if you actually believe that something is going to happen, you cannot justifiably act against what you know. If you act against what you know, it's not faith. So that's why the Bible says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. What James is saying there is he's not saying that there's faith and there's works and there's two tracks and we can choose one or the other. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that wherever there's true faith at, because of what you know, there will be a work. The absence of the work of faithfulness is proof that there is no faith. That's just, that's just a fact. So what James is saying, there are a lot of people who have words, but no works. His, the works that are done through our life, because we're the canvas that faith is painted on. You are the, you are the, the actor in this production of faith. Does that make sense? And the lines are coming from another realm. So why do you do it? I just can't help it. And so by faith, we prove the existence of God. I'm up here today. Why would I be saying these things that I can't see if you would think I was a nut job? I've, and how has this continued on for centuries? Two millennia. 
It is the proof of the unseen realm. And so, we keep reading a little bit further. By faith, Enoch was taken. Where was he taken to? Now, I want you to get the, where was he taken to? Let's follow what we're saying here. Where was, where was Enoch taken to? Just follow the language I've been using the whole time. There you go. That's all I want. I just want you to make that connection. By faith, Enoch, he stepped through the veil of the four dimensions. And now he's in a place, a place called the unseen. Is that not cool? I mean, go, if you want a little bit of fun, go study people who've had after, you know, who had death experiences. Uh, one of the funniest ones, Charles, or, or Kenneth Hagin, when he tells his, when he was 15 years old, he's laying right over here in McKinney, and he died three times. And each time he died, his whole point of telling this is teaching us how the body is just the house for who you really are. And when the body is no more, has no more life in it, how three times when his, when his life of his body stopped, he stepped out of it. He's like, well, he said, I still felt like me, but I could see me. He said, as soon as I stepped out of it and I recognized that I'm laying there and I knew I'm dead, he said, the pain that was in my body, I didn't feel it anymore. He said, because I was disconnected from that old house. He said, the heart problems I had that, drove, that caused me to die, he said, I didn't feel anymore. I didn't have the tiredness and the weakness. He said, I was standing up. He said, the only problem was I wasn't saved. He said, so I started, I'm looking at myself. He said, next thing I know, I'm going down, 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 down. He said, and I get to this giant door. He said, and it's terrifying. And he said, and I'm hearing screams and things, and I don't want to go. And I call, and I hear somebody tell me, call out to God. And I call out to God. And he said, and the next thing I know, I hear a hand. I come back. And he said, I, I come back at the side of my bed, and I just step right back into my body. He said, and I open my eyes, and my grandmother's there. And she's like, I, I thought you were dead. He said, I was dead. And then the next thing he said was, he said, somehow I knew I was going to die again. He said, I told her, I'm about to die again. She said, I didn't expect you to come back this time. <laughs> he said, this time, he said, I stepped out. He said, there I was. He said, I stepped out of my body again, and she's still sitting there looking at my body. He said, and guess what I did? I went down, 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 and he names that. And he said, when I came back this time, I came back outside of my house, and I just stepped through. The wall, and I'm back in my body, connected back to the pain, back to the sickness, back to the weakness, back to everything. He said, and I told my grandmother. She's like, you're back again. I mean, this, you know. And then he died a third time. And the third time he called out to Jesus to save him. Now, if you're planning on having that opportunity, that is the exception and not the rule. He just, he, just, he just moved right back in then. And then he was ultimately not right after that, but then a few months later, I don't know, he was completely healed. But this is a, this is a common. You, you think that's extraordinary? You will hear this same story over and over and over again. Why do I tell you this? To creep you out? No. To tell you that you live in a dimension called the seen realm. And this, as the psalmist said, is so fleeting. How many of you feel like just the other day you were 10? How many of you can't believe you're not 21 any longer? I mean, come on, you know what I mean? You still feel like a young person inside your body, but your body won't do what you think you can do. Just let me play basketball. I will prove it. Right? But one day, the, you're just going to step right out of this. You're just going to step right out. And you will either be, you are right now an eternal being living in a body. There is, this is, the seen realm is the most basic place that a person will ever be. But your time in your body is the time that you've been given 
as a gift to receive the redemption that Christ has purchased on Calvary for you. So that when the day comes, and it may be today, it may be tomorrow, or God willing, it may be 50 years from now, you will step out of your body. And you will step out into one eternity or another. That excites me. I love how many, you've had people who have gone on. I have people who have stepped over, and I know without a shadow of a doubt, they are in eternity with Jesus. And then I have others that I'm going to have to wait and see when I get there. Why? Not, I don't want it for them, but why do my, why, why is there a question mark? Is it not because I did not see enough evidence displayed of faith? Enough of the display, the working of faith in their life to prove to me they didn't show me their faith by their works. So their faith in Christ was not adequately and accurately demonstrated before my eyes for me to say and that's sad to me you may say well you don't have the right to judge I'm not judging absolutely wheat by a tree will be known by their fruits but how many of you know what I'm talking about I mean how many of you have ever been to funerals where it's like the only thing that it makes to make a Christian is death Everybody who dies goes to heaven because you know why we do that? You know why? But sometimes in our attempt to comfort, we mislead. I mean, honestly, I stand here before you today and my dad died suddenly of a heart attack. I don't know where he's at. I don't know. Because he lived a life as such that could not assure me. Had he had a born-again experience at one time? Yes, but the activity of his faith in his present was not as I would like it to have been. So Mike preached his funeral. I only time I've ever, I get accused of writing Mike's sermons all the time. The only time I have ever written a sermon for Mike, I wrote the sermon for my dad's funeral. No, it happened how many years ago, Mike? Jacob, no, was a freshman in high school. So six years, seven years. And so my funeral, the funeral that he preached was he knew the way. He knew the way. See, faith is more than just a profession. It's more than just your name on a church register somewhere in the city. Faith is an active, everyday choice of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Man, I had no idea I was going to teach this today. This was not even on my radar. Well, I will say it like this. Faith, or Faith brings us to salvation. Salvation is a past, present, and future dynamic. What do I mean by that? Faith is anchored in the past work of Christ. On the day when he died and he said, it is finished, he paid for the sins of the whole world. Even the ones who were under the old covenant, who they had their lives atoned 
by Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They were in a place waiting for the Christ. They were in paradise. They were in paradise. So they were still saved by faith in Christ. They were saved by faith in the Christ who was to come. There is no other way to heaven except Jesus Christ. Never has been, never will be. Any, you can read that. It says it over and over again in the Bible. that It says that Moses refused to live in the pleasures of sin in Pharaoh's house, but rather wanted to suffer with Christ. He hadn't seen Christ. He wasn't around with Christ. See, it's, it's brought into that reality. We're, we see that from a New Testament perspective. You see, the, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. You can't understand the Old Testament without the aid of the New Testament. And you can't hardly find the new, you can't, the new covenant is not entirely clear in the old covenant. Because God is a master. He constantly laid out his plan and revealed it in enough strategy to reveal the promise. Because he lives outside of time. This book is a record, an extraterrestrial message from a God who lives outside of time. We know it is because he told us things in this word hundreds, sometimes even a thousand years or more before it happened in exact detail, which tells me he was an eyewitness account to what was going to happen in the future, but he told it from the perspective of the past, and he did so without unveiling too much of the information to make it undisturbed by the enemy. Had they but known that he was the Lord, what would happen at the crucifixion, the powers and principalities would have not have moved on the hands of angry men to crucify Jesus because they thought now he, they knew who he was as a human on this earth. We know that because when he went to the land of the Gadarenes and the, what did the Spirit say to Jesus? Have you come to torment us, Son of the Most High, before our time? They knew who he was. They had no questions about it. None, none whatsoever. They had no question about his authority. But what Satan misconstrued is, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you consider him? You have made him for a little while a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Lower is juxtaposition to higher, right? Man, this is getting deep, right? So what has the advantage, low ground or high ground? Just asking. Y'all all know that high ground. Jesus took a disadvantaged state. He took the low ground. Humanity, we live in the scene. The scene is the low ground. I'm just telling y'all right now. The scene is the low ground. We live in the low ground. Because invisibility has an advantage over all day long every day. What am I fighting? I don't know. I can't see it. You know, that's a problem. So we see here Jesus, whenever he stepped into a human body, fully God, fully man. What did Satan think? You just gave me the upper hand. And he tempted him and he, see, that's what it means by Philippians. He didn't regard equality with God as something to be grasped. That's Philippians 2. But he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death. Even that he put on this humanity. 
What a humbling it was to stoop down to our lowest state, to take on the low ground. And he came, the Bible says, not to be served, he, but to serve. He didn't even step into the realm of humanity in a king's position. He took on the servant's position, and he did not servanthood did not lower him one iota but yet he elevated servanthood to be esteemed by us so that he says things like the greatest among you shall be called the servant i was doing that's what angels were doing just then they were going Y'all weren't, but they were. So when we aspire, you never graduate from servanthood. You strap the towel on at Calvary and you keep it on until the day you exit this shell of your body. And if you aspire anything other than that, you by nature are Luciferian. Hope this is not too tough. Hope this is not too tough. I'm just trying to elevate you guys. <laughs> I said you could be. I don't know. You decide. So, when Satan saw him in that lowered position, he moved through the Roman government who has the kingdoms of the governments of this world in charge of? He told Christ that he, all the kingdoms of the world are mine and I will give them to you in a minute. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Some people say, well, he was lying. No, he wasn't. If he was lying, it wouldn't have been a temptation. If I try to sell to you my brand new 2023 Mercedes for $5, are you going to be tempted of that? You're going to say, no, Andrea, you're a liar. You don't have a Mercedes, number one. So you can't sell it to me. Only thing I'm going to lose is $5. Right? So when he offered that, it's not a temptation unless it's, at, it's, right? So he took the Roman government and all these, he moved through these governments. He moved through the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He moved through the crowd. The, the crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The same crowd spun around and said, crucify him. The same thing happens every day when a person meets a situation in their life that they think they don't deserve or they don't understand. And they shake their hand in the face of God and say, how dare you? Why? I'm not saying you shouldn't question God. I'm saying be careful of how easy you are to switch from praise to railing. Because one is a person who does that. Bottom line, they're not, they're not people of faith because their ultimate aim is the gratification of self. That's what it is. So we go on. Jesus then is, in fact, crucified. I heard it said the other day that it wasn't three nails that hung him on a cross. What held him affixed to that cross? That's it. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he stayed in that servant place because he knows that when we step out of this body forever, as poor humans who have the disadvantage of the lower ground,
But see what the devil, he overplayed his hand, as he always does. Because the Bible says that whenever he went to the grave, he got access to another place. Now that was a bad day. Because the Bible says that he took back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. So he, Philippians said, he who, I would read it, but it's easier for me to quote it, and y'all can read it later. He did not consider it to be robbery with God, but he, he emptied himself, and he took on the form of a servant, and he, and he humbled himself even to death, a death on a cross, so that in him, the name, Jesus Christ, he would have the name above every name, both in heaven, earth, the last domain under the earth and he went into a place as we know through Jesus's own teaching into the place called paradise or the bosom of Abraham and how was Abraham saved and it's called the, it's funny it's called the bosom of Abraham you, you no one's getting saved outside of faith y'all you're just not doing it and so he went to a place called the bosom of Abraham and the Bible says that he took out all those and it says in the word of God that those old saints of old Abraham Isaac and Jacob David I mean let's name some I mean you know all these ones Levi Moses what were they done I didn't say them by name but it says the saints of old the patriarchs what were they seen walking through the streets of Jerusalem I bet they were like this place has really grown up <laughs> You know how you do when you, like, go back to a town you haven't been in? You're like, man, that wasn't there, and that wasn't there. <laughs> People are like, you shouldn't be here. You know, they're seeing them. And so when Jesus ascended on the Mount of Olives, and I'm taking you all through a whole little story here. When Jesus ascended on the Mount of Olives, it said he ascended in a cloud, right? Cloud is biblical language for a heavenly host. He had his cloud with him. I mean, those are clouds, yeah, but that's not what it's talking about. That's how you're supposed to think of it in the imagery. His cloud was all the saints of old, the cloud. And Hebrews goes on to say, since we have, we are compassed with such a cloud of witnesses. Let us run, therefore. Let us run this race of faith because we are anchored not in a seen realm. I know when people only live in a seen realm because the first adverse circumstance, they're done. Because they're basing every bit of their stability and their persistence on what is in the seen Somebody treats you bad, and you get mad at God. Seen realm. See, that's past, present lifestyle. If you know the past. It's something in the past. Faith is a future, present lifestyle. You cannot stop a person of faith with flimsy things like offense. Offense. <laughs> Offense. <laughs> you can, not offense. Faith is a future present lifestyle. Faithlessness is a past present lifestyle because everything from your past to your present is in the realm of what? The seen. Everything from future present is in the unseen. Your destiny, all these things. So many people falter. And Jesus asked this terrible, terrible, terrible revealing question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find a people who refuse to live in the folds of this seen realm? Will he find a people 
who are so anchored in a place they cannot see that they live a life that is clearly unearthly. It's unearthly because you can't offend them. You can't shut them up. You can't starve them out. You can't lock them out. You can't tell them how, when, where, and why by using something as lightweight as fear of their own body. Because people of faith know that their stint in this little tabernacle called a body is so short that it is not worth making long-term decisions with regard to how they live their life right here and now. God has spoken to me that we are entering in a day of great peril. Great peril because the enemy knows that he has but a short time. And it is time for the church to realize that within their little scope of their little natural thinking, living in the dynamics of what I see and what I feel and what I taste and what I like and what I don't like and what pleases me. We have built up a ministry model in the United States and throughout much of the Western world called the mega church mentality where ministry goes on from a platform by paid professionals while others sit on pews and they like Persons watching a stage with a remote control shop and choose their brand of Christianity. And they feel the comfortable ability in a seeker-sensitive environment to be whoever they want to be, however they want to be, and whenever they want to be. Barna Research says that a, today a Christian who calls themselves born again believes that they are a faithful attender and contributor of the house of God if they attend the church one time a month. That is not faith, friend. If that's you, please find some faith. Andrea, you've just offended me. Then you're not of faith. I've already told you that. Just doing a check on your level of faith. I want to rattle your cage because I have no other alternative here and I have no other agenda here but to serve the Lord. I will be successful here in serving the Lord because of my life of faith or I will be successful somewhere else serving the Lord because of my life of faith. That is not a threat in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I don't take it that way. I just want you to know I'm resolved to be a preacher of the Word of God in these last days because people are going to have the rug pulled out from underneath them because they don't even know the God in whom they have called themselves their name after. They have, in effect, taken the Lord's name in vain. That's not a curse word. It's a curse life. It's how you represent the king. When people see you, do they have any problem seeing that you are a child of God? Or do you fit in so closely with the world's values that they're shocked to find out that you attend church ever? I do not want my Christianity to be camouflaged as I comfortably... When I got saved, I had no trouble separating from my friends. They separated from us. Mike had a friend who is today in eternity, and by all appearances, he did not make the good side of town. He left a bar drunk, him and two other guys, and he drove into a tree. And he died instantly 
and he killed the other man with him. And one survived. How many times did we tell James? They were, Mike and him were like brothers. His younger brother died when he was 16. He was laid down in the road on the way from a party. He got drunk, got in a fight, and walked off. Oh, wow. Move, you know. Went, I've never heard that happen before. Laid down in the middle of the road, passed out. All of Mike and their gang left the party in backs of pickups. Y'all know this. Y'all lived it. They all left. They saw James staggering on the side of the road, and there were cars coming. And Mike said, there's James. And somebody said, we don't have room in this car. The next guy will pick him up. And Mike said, at that moment, even in a drunken state, I knew I should get him. He said, but I didn't. I thought the car behind me would get him. The car behind didn't get him either. Jimmy laid down in the road, James's little brother, and two elderly people coming back from the grocery store to get a loaf of bread killed him and drug him all the way home. They thought they had hit a dog. The next morning, you say, Andrew, you're being hard. I, I don't, this, is, this is the Lord. There's something. There's something. It, somebody's eternity is weighing in the balance. It's the only reason I do this. The next morning, Mike got up. Hey, anybody seen Jimmy? Hey, anybody seen Jimmy? No, he's so-and-so. I saw him with so-and-so. Anybody seen Jimmy? No, I saw him with so-and-so, so-and-so. Anybody seen Jimmy? No, no, I didn't see Jimmy. Jimmy with you? No, Jimmy's not with me. And so he was like, something's wrong. He went to his sister's house. She said, hey, did you hear the news? What? He said, a kid last night, unidentified, was hit by an elderly couple and killed. He went, he said, I knew. He said, I went to Wanda, Jimmy's mama. Knocked on the door. Mike's 17. He said, Wanda, I think Jimmy's dead. She said, Mike, don't you be messing with me. You better stop that. Stop, that's not funny. She said, he said, Wanda, I'm not playing. You need to go to the funeral home and identify the body. He thought he had plenty of time. Mike gets saved. His very best friend is Jimmy's older brother. He tells James, 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 come on. James acted like Mike and I. We had spent every day with him for almost every day of our life. When we got saved, our life was so contradictory to his. He would have nothing to do with us. The last time I laid eyes on him, I was pregnant with Hannah, and Mike and I were walking. We lived. We were neighbors in the same town. He was walking, and he saw us. And when he saw us walking, he was, at his, he was by his house. He, saw, he, was, he was like, fear was in his eyes. He just wanted to get away from us. See, I see this all the time. I see people who have a salvation experience, and there's not enough change in their life to even make their old friend group uncomfortable. I'm telling you, this is serious business. I want you to be ready, you yourself. But more than that, not more than that, equally as important as that, I want you to be able to live a life that could ready another. And for them to see such an exemplary demonstration of faith in you that they could be convinced of a God whom they cannot see simply because they see you. That is how the gospel works. And if it's not working that way, we are entering in the year of 2023 and the motto is free in 2023. You will be no more free than you are willing to walk in truth. Yeah. 
for the truth. They shall know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. So if you're not willing to walk in truth, you will never be willing or able to walk in freedom. And the first truth that we have to start with is the truth about the reality of the life that we are living right now in the flesh, in this platform called the scene, which is the place where we have the will to make the decision. I didn't finish. Salvation has three parts, and I will end with this today. It has a past reality of justification. When Christ died and he said it is finished, he died for the sins of the whole world. He died for James's sin, who is now dead just like his brother Jimmy. He died for Jimmy's sins. He died for my sins. He's died for your sins. Then why? Why are James and Jimmy not saved if they died for their sins? Because they didn't put their trust in him with their choice. Because God is so committed to you as a free moral agent. He will never usurp your own ability to choose and choose for you. Because you're made in his image. And he wants you. you nay, he doesn't just want you. He's made you to choose. He would have to override his word to negate your free will. So past. I was saved in the past on Calvary's cross. My, my justification was purchased. Present. And then I came into the past of my salvation was the day that I came into the vision of that justification for my own personal life in my point in time. And I was justified. Present is sanctification. Salvation also offers a sanctification. A salvation that does not, what does sanctify mean? It means to separate you from. It is a growing of salvation in you, a life that becomes more and more and more Christ-like. It's the growth of salvation. We call it discipleship sometimes. Sanctification is provided through the work of the cross. I, I need to go to the Father. Why? Jesus, why? Because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And he will lead you and guide you into all truth. Sanctification. The third aspect of your salvation past, it should have a present reality of faith. I should say, yeah, I can look at them and go, I see a sanctifying work in their life. I'm not saying you're perfect. But you're, there's a progress of growth because of what Christ has done and your faith in what he's done. And then there's the future glorification. There's justification, sanctification, glorification. And one day, this immortal will put on immortality. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the last trump of God shall sound. And we which are alive and remain will be caught up and so shall we ever be with the Lord in the air. I will have. And when I don't, friends, as John said, I don't know what I will be like fully. But I know one thing. When I see him. I will be just like him. I will be moving into a new dimension, one I apparently where I can walk through walls. And I can do, I mean, I can do all kinds of stuff. If you know enough, some of you may be super smart like this. I'm not, and you're into physics and all that. You know that there's, that the, you can speed molecules up to the point that you could just pass through stuff. I mean, that's not even hard for physicists to believe. You know, that didn't stomp them at all. Jesus walked through a wall. Well, you know, that's actually possible. For us, it's like, no way. That's for me anyway. I'm like, I don't get that. But you, you have to introduce your contradictions. Introduce your contradictions to face reality. What are your contradictions? What are some of your contradictions to face reality? Anybody? What are some contradictions to faith's reality? Sickness. 
It's a contradiction to face reality. Yeah, so you have these contra- you feel like, you know, there's certain contradictions in this, you know, a world that has been touched and marked by sin. Poverty could be, I'm not saying that all Christians are rich, and you should be. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you understand what I'm talking about. But uh, poverty is a result where people just can't make ends meet, and they just live in just impoverished environment where there's, that's just not God's will. That's a contradiction. And so you're introducing your contradictions to face reality. And faith's reality is impacting the contradiction. Most of us, though, so many times we never actually we never actually speak to our mountain. We just speak from our mountain. Oh, I'm just sick and tired, missing that and the other. You just confess the problems over and over and over and over again, because that's the realm you live in, that sight realm. And so we look, and we understand. In this new year, we need to resolve our faith. We need to resolve it. And in order to resolve faith, we have to come in. We have to deal with all unresolved thinking. And now, I, I told y'all, if, if you're of a mind to read this book, I mean, y'all may all think I'm crazy. Reversing Hermon. This takes a supernatural worldview of Genesis 6. If that means anything to you, then you're probably interested. If you're like, already that doesn't mean anything to me, you might need to get interested before you get interested. You know what I'm saying? Genesis 6 reality is the reality of heaven, the heavenly realm. I don't say heaven as in the place where God, you know, there's the good side of the tracks and the bad side of the tracks, you know, that the the realm of heaven interfered with the realm of earth and it produced a race called the Nephilim. This takes you through the Bible. This is a scholar and he talk, takes the supernatural worldview. Now, why is this important? This has been studying this, this one thing in my life. I've studied for years. I've taught since I was 20. I'm 51 now. I've taught like every Sunday since I was 20 years old. So I've, I've had a little time to study. But in this past year, looking at this has done more to galvanize and underpin my faith than anything else I've ever done. Now, I'm not saying this is for everybody. But this, what, what, how, how has it galvanized my faith? It has given me the eyewear to see the reality of the unseen. So much so, not that I see into the spirit, but, I, you know, the reality, I see it. You know, I understand it. I'm cognizant of it. And it's become a part. It's reframing my worldview. And so, in reading that and understanding that, and many, I've read like five of his books. When I now look at something that's impossible, a creative miracle per se, I think all of us say, wow, that's what we see that. And we're like, impossible, right? And we're leaving right now. When I see something impossible, I'm not saying I'm there yet. But what I'm saying is, is that when I see an impossible situation, I am now gaining an understanding of a realm that the impossible in my brain is becoming more and more plausible. Does that make sense? So I'm not just like going, looking at the impossible situation and trying to hit the formula of faith. Stand on that leg and say this and do that. Because I felt like that so much when I was trying to hit the right formula of faith. You know what I mean? And not really knowing what I was doing, like solving math problems and not knowing the equations, but just looking at my friend's answer and going, what is X equal? 10? Perfect. <laughs> just trying to get the answer X equals 10 without understanding how to work, you know, what works these things, what actually embed in, is all of this about. And that has helped me. So if that helps you and you're interested, because I've had several people this week ask me about the book of Enoch. This, I do not believe the book of Enoch is inspired. I'm just going to say that. I do not believe the book of Enoch is scripture, nor should it be. But I do believe, this is not, this uses the Bible. I, I do believe the book of Enoch gives people a lens into the Hebrew mind. And when you can understand the Hebrew mind, you won't inadvertently put your Western concepts into an ancient book. You can put ancient concepts into an ancient book that is eternal and come up with the right inferences. Lord bless you.
study, I compared this to King James, uh-huh. and I, oh, I study it a lot, and where you were reading, could you read this and tell me what you think? What is it? 